This is Bars Loaded with Ben and Nick. A strength, powerlifting and performance podcast. Where we hope to share our opinions, help educate and inspire. Tell a few stories, build a community along the way and... Bars Loaded. G'day mate, how you going? Good mate, how are you? Happy New Year. Good, happy New Year to you and welcome back to everyone for episode two of Bars Loaded with Ben and Nick. For Ben and Nick. Bars loaded, either way. <laughs> How's your Christmas and New Year's, mate? Uh, very low key. Um, for New Year's yesterday, I pretty much just went for a drive, um, down to the bush and did a bit of sort of journaling and reflecting on the year, um, and sort of set some intentions for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And then nice. that sounds cool. Yeah, it was like it was, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> um. Obviously, without going into too much detail, but you would know some of the uh, extents of uh, the year that I've had and some of the trials and tribulations and all that kind of crap. So Hmm. it was definitely interesting to sort of go into like bush-ish kind of area, Um, you know, turn the car off, not have music as a distraction and literally just sit there and just like let everything out. So yeah. yeah, it was it was interesting, but it was also like quite therapeutic to like, you know, sort of go in and bring a whole heap of shit to the surface and then be like, all right, cool, well, I'm literally gonna leave this in this year and I'm gonna start twenty twenty four on a on a fresh slate and hopefully move on to better and bigger things. Yeah. Would you say last year was probably one of your more challenging years? Um, well, it's fine. Like I actually, I journaled about this a couple of weeks ago and was sort of reflecting on it. And I was like, 2023 was my year of polarity. Like it was like at the start of the year, I was like, this is going to be the best year that I've ever had. You know, I was probably the happiest I'd ever been. Like, obviously, as you know, like I was head over heels in love. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, not that long, uh, into the future and it's, quite literally the the polar opposite of that um so yeah definitely definitely probably one of the more challenging years that i've had that i can like distinctly be like yeah like it's not just challenging because i've had like you know one thing happen is challenging because there's been so many different moving paths to it where it's you know one thing on its own would be shit enough as it is but you add in two three four things at once that are all you know for lack of a better term, like going against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely it finds ways to test you in ways that you just, you're not sure how to navigate. And it's just becomes a bit of a, a clusterfuck of uh, <laughs> navigating it all. But here we are. Yeah. But I think, um, I mean, you and I have spoken about this a ton and I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to dig too much, but I think a lot of, a lot of the conversations we've had around it, come back to as shit as it can be there's also always some good lessons yeah i mean like i i haven't quite found the silver lining from it all yet um i know that there's definitely some lessons that i've taken away from it but like i've had some shitty experiences in the past where i'm like oh the silver lining is absolutely this and i'm absolutely sure on it whereas like even now i mean what six months after the fact Hmm. it's like if you had asked me like what the silver lining of the whole situation is i'm like i don't think there is one 
Yeah. Well, there is, and I know what it is, and I can see what it is, but I'm not going to tell you because you need to come to it on your own. But when you do, and you tell yeah. me, I'm going to say, ah, that's what I've been thinking all along. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's, we'll, we'll there's there's two or three that I can already see um, that I think you'll come to realize on your own. And when you do, mm. I think it'll be a really good a good breakthrough for you. Um, we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you tell me that because I already know what they are. I've got them written down. Okay. Did what, feel, what did you guys get to? Uh, we, for New Year's, we had a pretty quiet weekend. We um, we trained on Saturday morning, um, kind of trained slash coached. Um, I do an open floor coaching on Saturday mornings at Hunter Strength. So yep. anyone that wants to come in, um, can come in for a half price casual visit. You don't have to be a member. It's 10 bucks. You can come in. Um, Em and I are there. Um, and is there to give out like nutrition tips, advice, um, do, you know, on the spot consults, if anyone's interested in that, or people can just come in and train and do like a group training session, or they can do their own training session. And I just kind of float around and give training tips. Yep. Which has been really good. I've been doing that now for a couple of months. Um, the first few months, the first few weeks was like right around when nationals were. So it was like a little bit hit or miss because yeah. I was I was obviously injured and in prep. So but since then it's really picked up and there's a good little crew that come in and, and train and it's quite fun. So I kind of train along with them and do my own thing and then just kind of float around and give coaching tips. So I really enjoy Saturday mornings doing that. Yeah. And then we went out um, from there. We went straight out to do a wine tasting and cheese board at one of the wine clubs that we're members at in the Hunter yep. Valley. That was really fun. Um, that's kind of the first time that Em and I have done a taste a wine tasting as a wine club member together mm -hmm. and it's really cool because they they kind of like roll the red carpet out for you because you're a wine club member and they take you down yeah. into to a private tasting room that has you know comfy leather lounges and ambient lighting and you know nice jazz music playing and really nice decor and it's just like this really cool room that overlooks the whole vineyards with you know, a whole glass wall and um you know, you get the the best the best employees look after you because the the wineries want to look after their employees. They they're good employees and give them to the wine club members because they're usually less rowdy. Yeah. So all of the good employees are down there doing tastings and yeah, it's just really fun. So we really enjoyed that. And then as we we're driving home, uh, we we're driving through the Hunter Valley and. It's it's such a crazy story. I was Em and I were just kind of talking about my my uh, employment history in the wine industry and how much I learned and all of the different wines that I've tasted and some. I was talking about some really expensive bottles of wine that I got to drink when I lived with my old roommates uh, over in America and. That kind of led the conversation to expensive Australian wines that I'd really like to taste one day. And mm -hmm. I literally said, 
Oh, like, you know, one of the pinnacles for me in Australian wine would be Penfolds Grange. I just, I'd really love to taste that wine. You know, yeah. I've, I've, ha- I've drank a lot of Penfolds. It's, it's my favorite Australian winery as it is. I think most people that know anything about Australian wine and as I said that, no word of a lie, like cross my heart, hope to die. I finished that sentence. And as I finished that sentence, we drove past the winery. And on the, the sign on the driveway of the winery, there was like this little sign like screwed to the side of, of their of their sign that was like half hanging off. And the sign that was hanging off said, Penfolds Grange tasting now. And I was like, kind of drove past it and then I said and did that say Penfolds Grange tasting now or am I just imagining that because that's what we were just talking about and she was like oh I don't don't know I wasn't looking so I did a u-turn and went back to have a look and it said Penfolds Grange tasting now so we went in and I said mate there's a sign out the front that says tasting Penfolds Grange but this isn't Penfolds like is that right or did I misread that and he's like, nah, we're at Penfolds. Um, you know, we have the license to sell Penfolds and uh, you can do a Grange tasting. It's $65 for 50 mil tasting. Yeah. I was like, ah, it's a New Year's miracle. Sign me up. <laughs> That's <fucking> sick. <laughs> yeah. So we did that. And um, man, it was, it was fantastic. Like, it, this is kind of getting into a little bit about me outside of lifting is I'm a massive wine snob and that was it's like a huge bucket list thing for me to to have a bottle of that and to drink it mm. at a special occasion and even just to do this tasting where you know 50 mil I got two mouthfuls basically yeah um was like one of the highlights of my 2023 to be honest it was fantastic it was that good so we did that um and then we we came home after that. Um, we talked about that all evening and we just had, um, we opened a bottle of champagne that I got for Christmas and we had a little kind of cheese, caviar and liver pate spread at home on our own and then um, went to bed at like 9.30. Sounds beautiful, man. Yeah, it was actually a really good night. We watched a movie Um what do we watch? Oh, we watched um Django Unchained. I watched that the other week. It's so good. Yeah, it's the first time either of us have seen it, and oh, we really? both yeah, we loved it. Yeah, really good. It was funny. I um when I was watching it, I was like, they've obviously dropped the end bomb a lot. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I wonder how many times they say it in the movie. And apparently, they say it like 111 times. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's but such a good movie though. It was quite interesting as well, like doing a little bit of sort of like research into it. And obviously, when like Leo's character and um the the main guy who works with Jamie Foxx's character, yeah. when they have to drop the M bomb, obviously being being white, um, they're just like, oh look, guys, we we really don't feel comfortable saying it. And apparently, like Samuel L. Jackson, like. Sign like went his hand on him, but in like a way where it was kind of like it's okay to say this, like your character is this kind of person, and then apparently it was just like bang lights, like it was like a, a um a switch was flicked, and he was just like wouldn't even acknowledge him, and like you know 
caught in like a house end bomb and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, fuck, imagine, imagine being cast in a role like nowadays where you pretty much had to go around and say that to black people. Like you'd be absolutely fucking ostracized. Yeah. When was that movie made? I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right? I think it was like 2017-ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, see, and even now, I don't I don't think that that would really fly. Well, like, it's always interesting. Like, you look at movies like, um, like Tropic Thunder, for example. Like, that yeah. movie could never be made no, in I... this day and age. Like, it would get cancelled before the script even hit the desk. Yeah, um, and that's such a shame, though, because... It is. It's just. It's like make believe, right? It's just a movie. It's a movie, and it's that not is like based on real events. That is such a good movie too. It's so funny. I feel um, like but, future generations are going to miss out on a lot of that cool stuff. See, this is where I'm really glad that like my family had like hold like held on to um, like a lot of DVDs. I'm mm. pretty sure we have it on DVD. So I'm like, you know, when 2030 rolls around and we're all under like government lockdowns and all that sort of stuff, I'm going to I sit down with some friends and be like, we're going to watch on the old DVD player. We're yeah. going to watch all the old contraband movies that you can't get anymore. In the in the underground um, bomb shelter so that they can't track it electronically yeah. and shut yeah, it down. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> back, to, back, to, back to Django for a sec. Mm. I've come to the realization that I think Leo might yep. just be my favorite actor of all time. He's phenomenal. He's so good. Hey, mm. do you know the the um one of the like fun facts about one of the scenes in is it the, the plantation? Is it the hand scene with the blood? Yeah, yeah. So I had heard about that, and yeah, I. Like I had heard about that he cut his hand in the movie and didn't didn't mean to and just like kept going with the scene, but obviously yeah. never seeing the movie, I I really didn't have any context as to what that meant. When it happened, and he like smashed the table and and then he like lifted his hand up and it was like pissing out blood. Yeah, I, I said to M, I think this is the scene where he cut his hand but didn't mean to and just continued. Yeah just continued with the scene, stayed in character. And then to to finish it off, not only did he finish the scene, he then like improvised and went and wiped his blood on the the wife's face. Well, that's the part that like always, like whenever like I talk about the movie, everyone's like, oh, did you know when he cut his hand, it wasn't actually like a stun, like it actually happened. I'm like, yeah, but my, when he wipes his hand all over her face, imagine... And, being and, in that, having someone improvise and then just go, bang, face. Yeah, like, and, you'd be and, like... Yeah, and she stayed with it too. But I think that made that whole scene. It just made it so intense. It was so uncomfortable to watch. But if she'd broken character, they would have been like, we just, we just lost the greatest scene of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, watching that, I just, it made me kind of think back and he's done a lot of really cool things like that. He's a great actor. He's phenomenal. Honestly, one of his, one of like, there's a role that he did, like I think it was back in like the 90s maybe or even like late 80s. It was like, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah. His portrayal in that 
That was when I was in high school. Well, yeah, that's when I watched it as well. As when I was in high school, we had to do like a um, like a analysis on it for English or something like that. Obviously, you got like Johnny Depp, you got Leo. Uh, obviously, like Leo plays a heavily handicapped character, mm-hmm. but does it brilliantly, like scarily good. Um, but honestly, I reckon he's just getting better and better as he gets older. Yeah, yeah, he's. He's so good. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. You think about, it's kind of at the point now where when we're looking through movies and we see one of his movies that we haven't seen, we're just like, oh, we'll watch that because you're pretty much guaranteed that it's going to be good. A good movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, he doesn't really doesn't really have that many bad ones, does he? I don't know if I can actually think of anything that he's done where I'm like, eh, wasn't a fan of that. No, everything's pretty good. It's like same with like Denzel Washington. Mm. Like that man can make a movie. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Very good. So that's what we did. Um, and it was great. It was a really good night. And then, um, yeah, today woke up same time as usual and started the year the way I want to finish the year, which I think is a really good way of doing things. Yeah. So, Agreed. That's what I've been up to. Training last week went well. How did training go last week for you? Uh, yeah, it I was think, pretty good. Obviously, like I had. I think the last time we spoke was the day of or the day after your 200 AMRAP. Uh, I think it was the day of. Day of. Have you done any sessions since then? Yeah, like so I, I pulled up really sore after that. <laughs> like really sore. Um, I wonder why. So I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've done like a couple of upper body sessions. So I, um, I think, I think I may have had a session just before that safety bar session was like a one fifty single on my bench, and then like a hundred for twenty reps after that. Yes, that was the day before you messaged me that. Yeah, um, so I repeated that session again, but hit 155 on my bench, and that moved pretty easy. Like, mm-hmm. I probably would have rated it like a an eight, maybe, seven and a half, eight, somewhere around there. Like, it, it didn't really feel that hard. Um, and then I was like, I'll do a back off at 110 for an AMRAP, and I got 16 reps there. Um, With 110? Yeah. Nice. Like I've hit 125 for 14 before, like that's my best. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like one of those like weird sessions where you don't really expect to have like a really good set and you just happen to have a really good set. You're like, well, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. Um, and then I had a lower body session on Friday, so like 30th. Um I didn't do safety bars, but I did my Patfield Bulgarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like six reps per leg at like 130. Um, that felt pretty good. Nice. Um, and then just a bunch of like accessory work, but wildly intense glute doms from that. From the, the Hatfields? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then 
today I went in and started my first session of a new block where I'm just going to be working with like building a little bit of like exposure to volume, trying to improve some conditioning as well. Yeah. Um, and just working with less intensity in terms of load on the bar just to sort of get the body moving a bit better and just move a little bit more than I normally normally have been for the last like year. Yeah, nice. So what was the focus of your last block? It was more like recovery from that yeah, injury so was, that you had? It, the last block was kind of, so the first probably four weeks after I hurt myself was kind of like, I'll just do what I can to start moving that doesn't hurt. And I'll very gently start to add in like hinging patterns and anything that has me, you know, hinging forward or bending forward or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second block of it, which is the one I just finished, um, was just kind of like each week it was like, we're just going to try and increase tolerance. And that just, it increased really fast, um, which I was quite surprised with. But at the same time, I was like, well, like I, I have enough understanding around this rehab process that like, it's not, it's not like I'm trying to navigate my way through unfamiliar territory. Like I'm, I'm aware of what I've got to do and just say, oh, well, I know what I've got to do. Like, I know what helps me feel better. I know what doesn't help. Um, and I'm just going to do what I need to do in order to get the engine moving them in the right direction. And obviously, you know, I finished on a, um, a pretty big set for my good mornings. My front squats were sort of getting to a point like I ended up squatting like 140 for four, which not a PB by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like it was a good sort of baseline to hit to sort of go, yep, lower body's moving pretty well. Um, but this phase here, I'm just kind of trying to redirect my focus to some some base movement stuff because I want to, like some of the goals that I set down for my lifting this year, I'm like, I need to make sure that I'm in a position to actually chase those numbers down yeah and so what kind of timeline are you working off per block uh so generally speaking each block will be three to five weeks but generally speaking it's usually four so what i'll always tend to do is go where do i want to finish up in week four and i'm just going to work back to week one so yes. i'll always like reverse engineer like load and all that sort of shit yeah. um just sort of go well where do i want to finish off where do I feel like is an appropriate place to start? I always like week one to be easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of want week one to be like, I could do this with one of my load limiting variations and make it, and it would still be easy. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like going into like a, like, for example, so I had like a four by six at 110 on bench. Yeah. Okay. Like that, that's, that's not a challenging, challenging day in the gym for me, but yep. that'll probably go like 110 week one, probably 117 next week. 125 the week after and then like 130 maybe 132 but if i'm trying to do like multiple sets of six at that weight like that's starting to get to a point where it's like oh this is that's this is a little challenge. challenging like 140 for five is my best set of five um i've hit like 135 for eight mm -hmm. but that was for like one top set of eight so if i can go like three to four sets of six at 130 132 no, I think that's a pretty good indication that things are moving in the right direction without like trying to absolutely smash myself on volume. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you finished up your last block. 
last week and then you just move straight into week one of this yeah. block because week one's easy enough that it kind of serves as a deload anyway. More or less, yeah. Yeah, cool. But like oh. realistically with how I've structured this first block, the whole block in itself is almost going to be deload-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it might only be week four that I start to go, oh, this is actually feeling hard. Yeah, okay. So four times six on bench. So is this then like a little bit of a volume block for you, like setting up yeah. a base a base level to kind of progress from? Yeah. So like my things, I'm like, I want to work with a bit more volume to try and put on a little bit more size as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to work with like strict timed rest periods. So yeah. like today, my rest periods between sets were two minutes. For everything from from the top sets all the way down to accessories? Uh, so pretty much the way that I'm doing it at the moment. So I had, um, so my normal bench for my A series, my B series was behind the neck presses. Mm-hmm. And that was a two minute rest period as well. Um, and then for all of my accessories, it was no more than 90 seconds. Yeah. But it was pretty much just like, do your set. Within that 90 second period, like if you feel like you've recovered enough to go again, it might be 30 seconds, it might be 40 seconds. Like, cool, you go again. And then if you're doing three sets there, it's like by the time you get to your third set, you might go, well, if I've got a 90 second window here and I took 40 seconds and I just made it through to the same amount of reps, I know I'm probably going to need a little bit more rest this time. So I might push it to 60 to 70 seconds. But as we kind of spoke about last week, um, you know, with conditioning for, for powerlifters and for strength athletes, I think one of the best things you can probably do is just work to time rest periods. Yeah, outside of like actual conditioning. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm which, talking like if you're like, I'm using weights as conditioning. Yeah. It's like, like part of it is so that you can be able to do something either more or better or whatever the, the parameters might be. Um, like for me, it's like if you can do like five by five or four by six or whatever it is with like two minutes rest at a moderately challenging weight, chances are you're becoming more conditioned to handle volume. Yeah, exactly. So I think we, you and I definitely had this conversation um, off off air. Um, yeah. And that, that was kind of, we kind of came to the same, the, the same, uh, what's that? Conclusion? Yeah, conclusion is, that outside of actual conditioning, which is really beneficial for almost everyone, uh, almost all of the time. Um, I would say always, always, always. (laughs) Yeah, but, well, yeah, almost always. I don't like to be absolute pretty much ever. Mm. Um, But there's also a lot of people that, even though it probably is the best thing for them, uh, just not going to do it under any circumstance. So the second best option for conditioning is like you, we, we both agree is probably just time dressed periods um, and trying to keep the intensity of the, the movement at a high enough level that it's still listening to the result that you want and yeah. then using, using that time dress period to build, to build, excuse to, me. Yeah. Excuse you. I was actually bless you to build using that time rest period to build capacity. I was like, this. I reckon this actually gives us a really good segue into one of the questions that we had in regards to like strongman going to powerlifting, powerlifting into strongman. Mm. I think this is where it can be 
really, really good to utilize strongman events or accessories or whatever you want to call it as part of a conditioning program for powerlifters. So whether that's like farmer carries, whether that's sandbag carries, whether that's yokes, whatever it might be, I feel like that's a really easy way to go. You know, someone can go and lift weights, but they can still get a conditioning element to it as well. Like if you take a 120 kilo lifter that's never really done any conditioning and you're like, hey, uh, you know, here's a farmer carry. It's, you know, it's 80 kilos per hand. Um, you see this 30 meter track. I want you to walk down to the end, get to the end. I want you to wait 15, 20 seconds, pick them up, carry them back. I want you to do this for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they're not going to make 10 minutes. <laughs> I guarantee you they're not too, because I tried it and it didn't make yeah. 10 minutes. <laughs> but they could do it with like, you know, a 32 kilo kettlebell each hand. They're probably gonna be like, oh, this is so light. But that repetitive effort with very minimal and like, you know, incomplete rest periods, they're going to have a really hard time to sit there and go, well, fuck, like I I actually don't have the capacity to do this really basic work for 10 minutes. And I think when, when a lot of coaches can start to wrap their head around the whole concept of, you know, conditioning doesn't equal weak, skinny little bitch, conditioning equals big, strong engine that allows us to do more work, recover better. Like it makes us a better athlete. And this is where I think, you know, coming back to at the end of the day, like as powerlifters, like we have to remember the fact that we are athletes Mm -hmm. um, and we need to start treating ourselves as such so that we can actually be taken serious. Yeah, I agree. And so that, so that you can compete as an athlete at a high level. Um, Yeah. And I think kind of, I think it also comes stems back from understanding what the purpose of conditioning is as well. And I think yeah. that's where there is a pretty good crossover from strongman uh, to powerlifting conditioning. Uh, so my view, my point of view is that if we're talking about powerlifting or strength sports in general, conditioning doesn't mean being able to do more reps. Conditioning means being able to do more reps at a higher percentage with a a quicker recovery rate yeah like one like when we're obviously talking like volume and um like technique practice and all that sort of stuff this is like do you know what 10 set method is Mm, i probably do if you tell me but not so it's it's really complicated like you do 10 sets (laughs) but like (laughs) So, like, back when Bass used to coach me, mm-hmm. one of the favorite programs that he ever gave me was this 10-set method where it's, like, it's 10 sets of two. Mm-hmm. And you got, like, five to eight minutes rest between sets and you're working at, like, 80 to 95% of a one RM. Mm-hmm. But you're doing a lot of volume but just done in sets rather than, obviously, heaps and heaps of reps. You might do like your first three to four sets of two reps, and you're like, "Oh, this is this is pretty crazy." Like, you know, this would be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to set six, seven, and eight, you're like, "Oh my god!" Like I've done my like my nervous system is cooked. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to like nine and ten, you're just like, "No, no, no!" Like I'm I'm done here. That's pretty much your session done. 
But yep. then obviously if you're looking at utilizing it in a way that's a little bit more geared towards quote unquote like a conditioning session, if you are going down the approach of using weights for the sake of conditioning, you might go like 10 sets of three at like 75% and give you like, you know, between two and three minutes rest per set. Like, you know, it's probably 40 minutes total worth of work. But if you do that properly, like you are going to be gassed. Yeah, and that's going to get the result that you want from a from a conditioning session or a conditioning block is to be able to to have a, a faster turnaround, recover at a, at a better rate, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously the health benefits come with that. Um, well, but so I think that that thing... probably comes more from like the moving conditioning. Well. If someone is looking for like the sake of like health benefits, like let's say it's just to get your heart rate down from the mid eighties to the nineties as a resting heart rate, which frankly like is ridiculously high or to get blood pressure from like, you know, 155 over 90 down to like what it should be of like, you know, 115 over 75. Like the really easy way to do that is this. Mm-hmm. like low intensity steady state cardio it's like just go for a walk man like whether it's like whether it's going on a treadmill but it's like get to a point where you can just keep a conversation going and hold there mm-hmm. and do that for like 20 to 30 minutes and do that like three to five times a week in like four weeks time you're gonna feel like a new fucking person yeah 100 percent. i can attest to that first hand yeah and like i mean Obviously, like you and I, like we've both got dogs. Mm-hmm. Mine don't like, really go for walks. Well, I was just like, I don't, I don't know what your your boys are like. But I know, like with my my boy, like while he is getting into his sort of like twilight years as a senior dog, like we go for a walk, and he's just like, let's yeah. fucking go. I'm ready. Oh, he wants to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will. Like even if I'm just at home and I get my headphones and I put my headphones on. He gets he's gone headphones on means we're we're getting we're probably going for a walk or even like I go put my sh- my gym shoes on. He's like, You're doing the the, sh- the, the shoe thing, like, does this mean we're, we're going for a walk? And he'll get a little bit excited and kind of look at me and be like, are We are we 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 doing the thing? Like, are we? <laughs> and then I'll see I'll be like, Okay. And he just loses his fucking mind. Or if I turn I'm like, nah mate, like not now. He's like, oh. How does he go when you go out on walks? Is he pretty, he's pretty athletic. He's athletic, but he and I have also done enough work where like he's fine to walk. Like there are sometimes when like, if we like haven't gone for a walk in like a day or two, he'll sometimes be a little bit antsy, but that's probably the first 10 minutes or so of the walk. And honestly, if I just let him take his time and do his sniffing and suss out what the hell's going on around him, I can then usually bring him back on a pretty short leash and he'll walk beautifully. Yeah. Is does he handle long walks pretty well? He can. Um, just because obviously because of how old he is, um, obviously the breed that he is with the potential issues for his hips and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't like to take him on like hour long walks, also mm-hmm. because like I just can't fuck walking for an hour. Yeah. But um like we'll go for a you know. 25 to 40 minute walk and we'll get back and that's him comped out for 
three to four hours after that usually. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I um we Enzo loves walking. Like he loves to go for a walk. He gets so excited. But I don't take him because I when I do take him by the end of the street, he's just done. Yeah. Like literally by like five houses, he's done. He's <laughs> not <laughs> take me home. But then if he does push on, I get really upset, man, because he's like the sweetest boy. He loves everyone. He's he's the softest, gentlest puppy you'll ever meet in your whole life. But because he looks so short and so muscly, and you know when he walks, he he breathes heavy just because of the breed, and he has like a big mouth, um, yeah. and a, and a massive neck and a huge head. Um, people will cross the road to get away from him. And I just feel like I feel so bad for him. And I just, I don't want, I know he doesn't know any better and he's just a dog, but I just, I don't want him to think that people don't like him. So I don't take him out. I just play play with him in the backyard. It's fair though. Cause Mav and I get that as well. Like where, where we used to live, like, oh, this is going back to like 2017 or so. Um, where I was living there at the time, like I'd walk around the neighborhood and, you know, it'd be like 6 7 o'clock at night. I would be walking. He would be like right by my side and we'd have a family of like two or three people walking up in front of us. And I would like move on to the nature strip to walk past them. And they would just cross the other side of the road, walk around and then cross back over. I'm like, that's fine. That was also back when I had my head shaved though. So I was like, I can't quite figure out if people are going, that guy just looks sus as all hell or whether they're yeah. like him and the dog is just not a good combo. You looked a lot meaner then. Yeah. It was good. It's <laughs> a good look. It's a good look at Suda. I like your hair now though. Yeah. Yeah. So back to um the strongman crossover yes. to to powerlifting. I've actually started implementing um a few of those carries myself. Um, yeah. Which ones in particular? Uh, I've been doing the farmers yeah. and um, supersetting that with just like wall throws um, and Viper press on the log actually as well. Nice. Um, just as a little conditioning circuit once a week. Yeah. And then on another day, a separate day as another conditioning circuit, um, I'm doing ball like throws. So yeah. the... The first session is like sideways and then slams mm -hmm. with the carry and then the Viper press yep. in a circuit. And then the second day I'm doing a sandbag carry, a front loaded yep. sandbag carry up and back. It's about 40 meters. So 40 meters up, 40 meters back. And then a heavy medicine ball between the leg and then throw like full extension throw over the head. Um, as a as a little circuit um, and I'm liking it a lot I would like to progress I would like to progress one of the carries to a yoke so that yep. I can load it a little bit more um, but I went with these two variations for this block and probably for next block as well because I I'm just not super confident with loading my knee through that gate cycle where it has to take all of the load on the step. So I wanted to just build tolerance through that a little bit, this block, and then move to maybe like an empty yoke and then um, start to slowly load that 
as soon as you mentioned yoga, I was just like, oh, I'm like, how is your knee going to go? Yeah, that? That, and that's why I didn't do it to start with. But I also think that like not doing it probably isn't the answer as well. I think it's probably just finding a way to move up to those positions. Because yeah. I think if I don't do it, then that's just that's just limiting the exposure that I put that knee through. And the more I limit the exposure, the weaker it's going to get. And then the more it's going to hurt and then the less I can do. And it's just kind of this really aggressive downward spiral. I might have a really good drill for you to start uh, working with, to start building some tolerance through the knee to build up towards that if you want. Yeah. Send it through for sure. Yeah. Cool. Explain what it is. Do you know what a Peterson step up is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing them as part of my warm up now, but I I do want to start loading them more. Are you doing them just from like floor to floor? Or are you doing them off elevation down to the floor, or at the moment I'm doing them off a twenty kilo bumper to the yep. floor with a um like a band behind my knee. Similar. Yeah, are you to... doing that with the the working leg staying flat, or are you actually rolling onto the toe as you do them? Uh, I'm. I'm not rolling onto the toe at the moment because that's too yeah. much, but yeah. I'm I'm focusing on pressure through ball of the foot at the moment. And yeah. then what I want to do is then progress that pressure through the ball of the foot to like lifting the heel to then like more onto the toe. Another thing that I find is it can be really helpful as well is like floating foot split squat variations. So if you were doing so like a front foot elevated split squat, trying to take the knee through like full range and all that sort of stuff. If you do it with just like the ball of the foot pretty much hovering on the plate and like your heel and the midfoot not in contact with anything. On the front foot? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So like if you're up on like on the like the top of the toes and you're just using that as like your your grip on the plate, mm-hmm. in terms of developing like strength and stability through your foot, um, like stability and around the like the hip and through the knee as well. It's a really, really, really nice variation for like lower body development to bring in exposure to almost like an unstable position. Yeah, nice. I might try. I might try to put yeah. some of that in, in the next block. So, yeah, um, that's really cool. Thanks, Ben. It's um, like because that that one there is what, what I use with like a lot of basketballers or anyone that has kind of like high impact with like change of direction work by bringing a lot of that work in through the foot and then building that stability in through the lower body, huge, huge, huge improvements. Yeah. Well, I notice um, the more the more of the carries that I've been doing and actually mm-hmm. like it, what it does is obviously it's re- great conditioning work, which is what we've been talking about. Yeah. It makes it feel like it's not conditioning for me, but it's also then making me move more and making me more aware of what I'm doing while I'm moving because I know that it's loaded and I need to be careful with how my leg moves and how my foot lands and then how my foot takes off. Because I know if I do it wrong, the chance of something going bad is higher than if I was just walking around, you know, doing wine tastings with them. So I think just from a, a concentration of like what I'm actually doing as I'm moving and how that leg is moving and how the hip is moving and how when the hip moves a certain way, it affects the knee and how when the foot lands a certain way, it affects the knee and how when the foot strikes and then how it rolls and how it lifts off, how that affects the knee and how that then affects the hip 
I think all of that kind of comes into play and it it's super interesting. I'm really enjoying it. Good. Yeah. And I think the more I load it, the more it forces me to focus on it too. Yeah. And then the more I focus on it, the better it gets. Beautiful um, sequence. But I also think that Strongman um, has a good carryover to powerlifting, which I think was the initial question. Mm. Uh, I think there's a fair bit of merit on utilizing some of the movements in quote unquote an off season or times away from competition where yeah. you you can load different different planes of movement you can and you can kind of do it in a fun way where it becomes less monotonous um, and it, it'll kind of make you a little bit more of a better all-round athlete uh, and less rigid in your positions as well. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that, the... that necessarily doesn't um, carry over to having a better squat bench or deadlift or making you a better powerlifter. But I think, in my opinion, what it can do is it, it can make you a more well-rounded athlete. It can make you stronger in different positions. It can build tolerance in different positions and it can have yeah. you in a better position to start a prep and then mm -hmm. go down that rabbit hole of specificity where um, you become hyper-focused and, and move in one direction and waddle well, by the end of it. I think the the part of like strongman that I really like for powerlifters is being able to develop very, very, very strong work ethic. Like you look at any of the, the high-level um, strongman competitors and they are just workhorses. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I feel like that is an aspect that a lot of powerlifters lack is they sit there and they're like, oh, well, I've done, I've done a, a top single. I now need to have a fifteen to twenty minute rest until I do a back offset. It's like, no, <laughs> like that's not necessary or appropriate. Um, whereas I think like some strongman stuff again, like like being utilized well in an off season, it can actually teach people to be like, well, you can do a lot of work in a fairly short time frame and do it in a way that's actually going to make you a little bit harder, mm -hmm. which yeah. I think a lot of powerlifters would really benefit from when it does come to um, like actually going into a program. It's like actually being able to train hard with intensity and not have it take six hours to get through a session. Yep. Yeah. And I think there's probably good merit um, again from the strongman to powerlifting side of strongman pride themselves. So the strongman that I know pride themselves on just being strong in any environment, in any implement, whatever shape, any anything, right? Like they'll pick up these rocks that are, you know, the craziest shapes and carry them and put them above their head, whatever. I think a lot of powerlifters could take take um, you know, some something from that and yeah. Just focus on just being strong regardless of the situation. It doesn't matter what bar you have or what plates you have or what platform you're on or you know what the temperature is. You can well, just be strong just in under any circumstances. The one thing that I notice about a lot of competitors is they're like, oh, this bench isn't grippy enough, or this the knurling on the bar isn't isn't X, Y, and Z. And they just complain about everything. Whereas again, like strong man competitors be like, oh, that rock is the most awkward thing you can find. Amazing. Let me pick it up and carry it as far as I can for time. Um, whereas like 
I feel like powerlifters are probably a little bit soft when it comes to their training environments and things needing to be perfect for them to have a perfect day. Yeah. I think, yeah, that adversity that I think a lot of strong men competitors really sort of, um, sort of like embrace. They're thrive just like, well, thrive yeah, they're like, doesn't matter how chaotic my environment is. Like I have a task at hand and I'm just going to fucking get it done. Yeah, and you know, we spoke about it last week, we speak about it often, is how huge of an advocate we both are of the utility of just doing something hard for the sheer fact that it's hard. I think strongman just, like, encapsulates that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the harder they just like, how can we make this harder? Let's do that. Yeah. The only thing that I just... If someone is going to transfer from strong man into powers and the only thing that i hope they don't bring is their deadlift lockouts <laughs> yeah yeah like don't yeah. Worry, like, I, i'm i'm very impressed with with strong man competitors but every time i see them like do all that hitching and stuff with their deadlift i'm just like it melts me i i it's yeah. impressive don't get me wrong like some of the the loads that these guys pick up is insane but i also just wish they were just a little bit cleaner yeah well you and i you and i love pretty lifts as well yeah um so that's that's kind of the opposite of pretty lifts i have this there's this um we have some strong men we have a lot of strong men that train at our facility and um there's this running joke they all know that i hate their deadlifts and they you know, show me as often as they can to just try and get try and get a reaction out of me. But there's there's one one of the guys. Um, actually, I don't think you'll mind me mentioning his name's Anthony, and he's extremely strong. He just competed over in the USA at um, the their big like world strongman event, um, and did did quite well. But there's been multiple times where he's been doing like a max effort deadlift session, not like not lightweights. This is like proper heavy deadlifts in a deadlift suit, straps on, heavy, right? And he will deadlift it to his knee and then lean so far back that he's able to rest the bar on his quads so much so that he can literally let go of the bar and readjust his straps and then continue the deadlift. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, that is super impressive, but I fucking hate it so much. Like if we if we are looking at like the transfer from say like strongman to powerlifting and vice versa, I think this is a perfect a perfect time for me to mention Tyson Morrissey from Strong Geelong down here in Victoria. Now he won 105s at world level, I think like three years in a row, or maybe been like Australia's strongest man at 105, like three years in a row, and was incredibly competitive on the world stage as well. Now, that man has, for like, for someone who does strongman and powerlifting, he probably has one of the sexiest deadlifts you'll ever see. Like, oh, yeah. He coaches is, a couple of guys at my gym. Yeah. Like, it is the most explosive and just like, Outrageous deadlift you've ever seen. Like, I think you've straps on. I think you've sent. I think you've sent. I've absolutely sent you some of his stuff before. But I think he's a prime example of someone who 
was able to do both and then kind of went really heavy in on one. But I feel like the foundation of strongman would allow him to chop and change, whereas I think the foundation of powerlifting wouldn't give you as much flexibility. Yeah, I agree. I definitely again, don't think it's more flexible. For, for the people who are listening, that is 100% based on assumption. Mm-hmm. I haven't had exposure to the strongman stuff to really be able to go, oh, well, from personal experience, it's really easy to do X, Y, and Z. Like I'm just imagining because, frankly, I don't have the uh, the desire to want to do strongman and push myself to that extent. No, and I don't want to scratch my skin on the stones. No. that's I don't want to do that. Like imagine putting all that tacky and shit. Yeah, and and it scratches them. And I, <laughs> I just don't want to scratch my skin. That hurts. You're such a pretty boy, Nick. <laughs> I, well, I am now that I've shaved. I'm moisturized well, twice a day. You seem to be like really digging the whole clean shaving thing at the moment. I am digging it at the moment, actually. Yeah. I've been told, look, every single person that's seen it has given me shit about it and it says how bad it looks, except one person said that I have a good chin and I'm holding on to that. Fuck everyone else. Embrace it. The main thing is like, what does M think about it? She hated it at first. Okay. Um, because because I think that it was a huge shock. Yeah. You know, like my beard was down to my nipple. Yeah. It was, it was huge. Um, and she'd gotten quite used to that. And then, so she didn't like it initially. And I think it really shocked her. But then she likes it much more now. She prefers, she wants me to keep being clean shaven now. I, know, like, when you I was, I was clean shaven when I met her. I yeah. was clean shaven when I met them. Yeah, because I know, like, when you first, like, trimmed it back, like, quite short, I was like, dude, I'm, like, actually quite like it, like, pretty snug and tidy. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, again, like, clean shaven suits you as well. But it's I'm just, like... It's just different, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind it. I'm going to stick with it for a while. Well, I mean, like, I don't have any plans to join you in that uh, that category anytime soon, so I'll let you enjoy it. How long have you had your beard for? Uh, I think the last time I was clean shaven was 2013. So like a decade, like it's, mine's been at varying lengths. Like obviously at the moment it's moderate, Mm -hmm. but I've had it where it's been down to about here. Yeah. Quite long. Um, like I've I've had it to a point where I could like braid it Mm -hmm. even though I didn't, um, I mean, like, even at the start of the year, like, where my hair was quite long as well, um, like, both my hair and my beard were lengthy. Mm, that's when you had the bush shack that you lived in. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's what everyone would have thought. Was like, I real sad. <laughs> I want to close out the. I want to close out the powerlifting strongman. Um, a segment, I guess, if you could call yep. it that before we move on. But I, I did want to mention um, going back in the opposite direction from powerlifting to strongman. And is there like utility in, in that sense? Um, again, this is like, like you said, a hundred percent, just like working off educated guesses and assumptions because neither of us have done strongman at, any kind of level um, beyond just like messing around. But I would think that the, the specificity and the, the technique 
and and how good powerlifters get at squatting and benching and deadlifting, um, yeah. and how and how strong they get at that. Um, I think that that could definitely have some carryover into strongman events of like squatting and deadlifting well, events. One of the one of the strongman events is literally like I can't remember what the actual event is, but it's I think a three hundred kilo squat for reps. Yeah, they do squat for reps. They do deadlift for reps. Um, yeah, obviously, like the events change. Top, yeah, top I mean, that, that's year, obviously but... like I, I can't. I mean, this is always like my fun comparison. I'm probably gonna get fucking crucified for this, but I'm like, when you look at like strongman and CrossFit, CrossFit is like natty powerlifters, <laughs> and strongman is like untested powerlifters. Like similar in terms of like. The events change quite a lot. They don't like their specificity changes quite a lot. Mm-hmm. They're kind of good at a few different things and they don't really speci- like specialize in one event necessarily. But it's like you look at a strongman competitor versus uh, a crossfitter and night and day difference. Yeah. Once more conditioning and skill on gymnastics and Olympic lifting, and one is more just like brute strength. And, yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I think that just the sheer like getting stronger and more efficient at squatting and deadlifting could have yeah. some some benefits. Uh, Absolutely. From memory, and do not quote me on this because this is just me trying to remember a conversation that I had recently with uh, Bryce, one of the strongmen from, from the gym. I'm pretty sure uh, that he mentioned... Um, Big Z, one of the the best strong men mm-hmm. ever. I th- I think that he mentioned he was quite a good powerlifter prior to strong man. Yeah, and and held some records as well. And again, I have no idea. I'm just that secondhand information, but it would make sense. Yeah, um, but like, even if you look at like Thor, for example. Like back in what 2018 when he was like number one in the world, when you looked at a lot of the generalized strength training, I say generalized, but like if you look at the pure strength work that he was doing with bass, it was like, cool, we're going to get you like squatting in wraps. Like we're going to get you a stronger squat. We're going to build your deadlifts. We're going to get you stronger in the bench press. We're still going to get you stronger overhead but we're going to use our main barbell lifts as the foundations of our strength work and then build specificity off the top of that. Yeah. Were you getting coached by Baz when he was? Uh, no. So pretty much I finished up around the time that they started working together. Okay. Yeah. I'd be interested to know, and I'm not sure if the information's out there or not, um, how if, if Baz does any coaching with him on like his – strongman events or if he's just like i'm gonna get you really strong and then from what from i remember at the time because i remember there was a, a like there was a bit of q a around um like i think it was leading into one of the world's strongest man events that thor competed at they asked bass they're like you know do you coach him for his events or do you just do his strength work and bass was like no, no i'm pretty sure he's like again pretty sure don't quote me for it but i'm pretty sure bass was like no i just do his his strength work, and then he has coaches for his events. He's like, yeah. I'm not a strongman coach. Yeah, I don't know how to coach him at a world level. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, I that's think that's cool. probably like a really good quality and really good trait to have as a coach, knowing where your expertise and where your scope finishes. Um, yeah, yeah, but I think it, I think it's that's also really really nicely highlights what we're kind of both saying is that getting strong is getting strong is getting strong um, at the end of the day, and it, when yeah. you get when you get stronger. Um, you're, you're going to be better at either of the sports and then it just yeah, comes absolutely. down to, to learning the skill of, of each. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to be a worse strongman for being stronger. No, and likewise powerlifter. If you, if you, yeah. just, get, if you just get stronger, you, you're probably going to get better at powerlifting. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Um, well, I'm also... I'm a week behind you in my training. Mm-hmm. So you finished up your block last week and started a yep. new one. Started a new one this week. Why well, is I started? Yeah, started a new one today. So I had my last block, my last session for the block on Saturday. Yeah. Um, so I am into my last week of this block this this week, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll be switching things up a little bit. Um, what are you going to switch them up to? Um. Well, I think. I have a few ideas, but I think um, I'm going to take this week to see how see how things move this week. I have some numbers in mind, and then based on that, we'll I'll either change my thought process slightly, or it'll solidify what I'm thinking, and I'll kind of go down that route that I've already got semi planned. But yep. last last week um, after we spoke. I think just before we spoke uh, last week, I did the the deadlift session, mm-hmm. um, where I did two forty for a triple. Yep, two forty for a triple. So this week, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna load two sixty. Yep, and I'm gonna just do my top set. Will just be like an AMRAP. Um, if it's three, it's three. If it's two, it's two. Um, yep. if, it, if it's one, then I'll just take the one. Uh, and then I'll finish the back downs. Um, and then my squats last week, which was after we spoke, I did 175 for four sets of six. Yep. Two and that was the low bar setting to a box, right? Yeah, it was on the transformer bar on a low bar setting to yep. a... Uh, I call it a high box. It's like a few inches above parallel. Yep. It's probably, what do you reckon, three inches above parallel? Two? You, two to I'd three? I'd say about two. Yeah. yeah. It's somewhere in between that two to three. Um, so what I am thinking is this week I'm going to do two, 200, which yep. is the, the number that I wanted to finish on, and that'll be fairly comfortable the wrap um i self-wrapped for that session last week and i did a it was a pretty light wrap with you know a, a huge tag left over that i could have easily got an extra rev even just on my own and if someone else was doing it they could have easily got an extra two maybe even three if you were doing it it was it was pretty light um which is cool it's mainly just there for like the the support of the joint, um, yeah, 
and the compression helps take pain away as well. Yeah. So, and then my bench session that I did last week that I finished the week on on Saturday morning was the slingshot bench. I did 170 for a double, which is cool because that's the first time I've ever loaded 170 on a bench for anything. Yeah. Um, and I think we were racing to 170, so I think that means I won. I've already done a one. If you're claiming a 170 slingshot, I've done a 170 block press. No, but that wasn't in the competition timeline. You didn't outline what the requirements were, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> we are still racing to a 170 bench, though, raw. Yep. So my plan is this week with the bench to load 170 again, and mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully there's an extra rep there. I'm going to try for yep. three which I think there should be. Uh, and then next block, my thoughts are at the moment is to stick with the deficit paused deadlifts. Yep. For another block, just because I'm really enjoying them and they're really hard. That's, that's kind of my thing that I have in my program at the moment, just because it's hard. Yep. Um, so I'm going to stick with those just because they're really hard. My squats, I'm going to stay on the transformer bar. I'm going to stay on low bar setting. And I'm going to obviously stay wrapped. I'm not, I'm not going to squat without wraps anymore ever. Uh, and I will, I'm going to take the, the block off the, off the um, step that I'm using as a box and I'm going to probably half that weight. So I'll probably do like a 10 kilo bumper will be half that extra um, yep. height, height on top of the box. So that'll probably take me down another inch. Mm -hmm. So that'll be one inch above parallel. And I'll probably take the weight in week one. I'll, I'll do similar to what you did. I'll kind of use week one as a, as a really easy lead into the new program, bit of a like deload week without calling it a deload week. Transition um, week. A transition week. And I'll probably take the squats. Um, I'm thinking the way I'll run it is I'll lower it an inch. And I'll take the load back to week two of this block. Yeah. And then take the same progressions that I did through this block, but I'll be one week ahead. So that gives me one. So you're kind of going like this and then the next block's like here, 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 and then it's another one in front. Yeah, but but lower. So yeah. then so then next block, I'll go, I'll take the 10 away, and that'll be like another inch lower. So that should have me at a box right around parallel. Yeah. I'll go back to week two again, take the same jumps, and then that gives me one extra week of progression again at parallel. And then yeah. I'll I'll again keep the transformer low bar, take the box away, and probably go probably then I'll go no box, but maybe squat an inch high um, or to where the knee feels comfortable with no safety net. Yeah. And then the block after I'll go, okay, 
now we're going to go back again in load, but squats have to be to depth. Yeah. This is all depending on if the knee can handle it, but that's kind of my thought process at the moment. Yeah. Nice. And bench next block, I'm going to go um, back to my main bench, my main heavy bench. I'm going to do uh, raw, raw bench comp setup, comp mm -hmm. pause. I'm going to, I'm thinking I'll do like a top set of three, some back downs at five. And then after my back downs at five, I'll put the slingshot back on and I'll do two sets of three with the slingshot. Um, yeah. At, at something like 20 kilos heavier than the top um, triple for the yeah. day. And I'll do two triples um, at, at something like 20 kilos heavier with the slingshot just for fun, just because I enjoy it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Nice. And then I'm going to continue to do the isometrics. I'm going to find, yep. try and look at finding a few different ways to load those. I'm going to incorporate some yielding, some overcoming, and uh, I'm also going to look at incorporating some more um, explosive kind of stuff maybe like some jumps and some like explosive push-up work before the main lifts as well yeah That's i think that'll of... be a bit of fun to get into because i was thinking of adding in either like some box jumps or potentially like some sprint work again mm -hmm. so i think that would be an aspect of athleticism that would be really fun to to really look at like when I watch weightlifters when they train, for example, and you see them, like they do their squat work and then they just stack like 25s up like, you know, to head height. Yeah. And they, there's like five of them standing around this platform and they just, one jumps, the next one jumps and they just like work their way around the out of play. They work their way around the out of play. I think that's a really good way to build like great explosive strength in a way that's probably a little bit more appropriate. Yep. Yeah, I love that. And it actually, sorry. Um, when I think back, um, I mentioned last week, you know, we did, we used to do really crazy stuff when I first started out um, in, in America at Basics Gym. And we'd, we'd just do like the randomest stuff. Some of the, one of the things that we used to do was we used to do loaded jumps onto the reverse hyper. So like, you know, the reverse oh, hyper. So you would do loaded jumps and then you go to the reverse no, hyper? No, we would jump onto the reverse hyper. As you do? From the ground. Yeah. So obviously like some people could do it, some people couldn't. Um, but the goal was to work up to jumping from the ground and landing on the, the reverse hyper platform. Because that, yeah. that was the highest platform that we had in the gym. And it was yeah. right. It was right next to the deadlift platforms, um, and so then a few of us got to the point where we were doing that while we were holding like ten kilo plates, and yeah. we were just holding the plates on our chest and then like launching up onto the reverse hyper, which is quite high. I'll have to send you a video from like this is going back to probably like 
2012, maybe. Of like, there's a gym I was working. I worked in across the gym at that time, and um, there was a stage where a bunch of us guys got really competitive with like box jumps and that sort of stuff. And there's, so I've got a video of like me doing like a standing 50 inch box jump. Mm-hmm. And then there was one night when we were just sort of like fucking around, like in between sessions where we stacked two of the 30 inch boxes on top of each other. And we're like, oh, we'll just see how high we can get before no one can jump higher anymore. Mm-hmm. And we had like, yeah, two 30 inch boxes stacked. And I was like, took a little bit of a run after this one. But as I call, I have one foot land on the box. And then if that's the top of the box, I had the other foot, like, just miss it. And I'm like, that fucking counts. Like, I'm up on top of a 60-inch platform here. I'm counting it. Yeah, and that's like, video of it. yeah, that's seven times height for you. Seven and a half at least. Yeah, that's that's impressive, <laughs> yeah. man. You, you didn't jump up there. You climbed up. I, I flew. <laughs> you flew up. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really – that's kind of the, the some of the stuff that I'm at looking to add into my programming at the moment. Um, nice. One, because I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but mostly because I'm interested to see how it fixes or how it helps my knee with the pain and the, and the function of the actual knee itself. Yeah. Um, and this is just me completely just like, experimenting and and thinking of potentially why it could be so jacked up and so painful all of the time. And Mm. I'm just trying to find some ways other than complete um, replacement, which I am on the list for, but until then I'm just trying to find some ways that, that might get, get me moving better um, in general. And then, if I can move better and if I have, you know, more strength through these different ranges and if I'm able to do more things, if I'm just generally stronger and more athletic, does then that allow my hips to move better? Does does the hips moving better then allow the knee to move better? Does, um, you know, stronger, just stronger hamstrings and, and stronger calves, does that then make that knee joint more stable which then results in less pain and does that then allow me to push things a little bit harder um, which helps with overall strength and size and then you know i'm just kind of experimenting a little bit and seeing what happens have you um have you heard of uh knees over toes guy on insta yeah have you looked into much of his stuff yeah so a lot of his stuff is obviously way more advanced than i am at the moment um all of his shits like there's regressions progressions of everything oh so i haven't looked that far into it i've seen the stuff i've seen the stuff where he like stands on the side of the pool and and touches yeah touches it touches his knees onto the water you know and i'm like bro like i I can't do that in a hundred years so one of the things, that, and so this isn't me trying to like spruik his program by any stretch of the imagination, but just for the sake of like improving movement for people across the board, like I think it's a really great resource to use. But one of the things that he kind of like prides himself on is that everything is scalable for any level whatsoever. So like he got, I think it was like his 60-year-old mum to start on the program and like, you know, where he might be doing um, like a heel elevated ass grass squat with, you know, 120 percent body weight or whatever it is she may have been doing it with like a broomstick okay 
Yeah. Um, you know, all like the the ATG split squats and that sort of stuff, like where he might be doing them with like his rear foot elevated, holding heavy dumbbells, like someone might start with like a really heavily front foot elevated squat with a broomstick for extra like broomstick each hand for extra support, just for the sake of being like I can access range, I can come back out, I can start building capacity within those ranges. Yeah. Um but there's also like a lot of stuff with like backwards movement that's been really good for like like building like strong knees as well. I think yeah. that could potentially as well be like a really useful um resource to look into for for some of the knee rehab stuff that you're trying to look at doing. Yeah, I was looking at it's funny you said backwards movement. I was looking at adding um backwards sled drags in yeah. as the third component on the second conditioning day and do that yeah. as a circuit as well. Um I yeah, I have been looking at that. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. I'm really enjoying it and it seems to be going pretty well at the moment. One thing I did find just in this block, which I think would be really interesting, is um, prior to this this training block, I was doing uh, two upper body days, two lower body days, um, you know, pretty standard kind of powerlifting split that um, that you would find across the board. And what I was finding was my after my lower body days, my knee would feel really tired and really taxed. And then the next day it would feel really good. Mm-hmm. And then it would slowly get worse throughout the week until the yes. next until the next lower body day felt really tired. The next day felt really good. And then it would slowly get worse again. So what I did this block was instead of having two and two, I've just got four total body days mm-hmm. where it's it's there's a little bit of everything on every day. And I'm working a lower body pattern at least once every single day or all four days and then the two conditioning days. And what I found is my knee gets less tired because there's less overall volume per day but then it feels much better consistently throughout the week because I'm getting consistent loaded movement through the whole week. To be honest, though, like for any sort of rehab focus, like I really like full body over individual splits. Um, you know, when we're obviously looking at getting something moving properly, getting, trying to give it the, the TLC that it needs, a lot of the time, like frequency is something that does make a massive difference. Obviously, you can still do the same amount of volume, but instead of having it in like one condensed day, you might just do that same volume across four or five sessions a week. Yeah, it's a lot easier for that joint or that muscle group to go. Oh well, we've only gotten like twenty to twenty-five percent of what we've usually been given. Oh, we can actually feel pretty good after this, and we we like this. And then that's where you can start to build the momentum. We like, oh, like I'm actually I'm able to train my knee four times a week, and it's not tired and it's not sore and it's not all those like the negative aspects of training it in a rehab phase but i feel like that's a really good way to look at um being able to approach it as well yeah and it's it's pretty exciting to be honest because i've been able over the last five weeks i've been able to take it my one of the really good indicators i've found of how my knee is tracking is how well can i do single leg leg extensions yeah um and 
I think I put it on my story a couple of weeks ago. I did a 20 kilo plate on that leg, the bad leg for a, a proper set of, it was like 10 or 12 reps. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to do more than five kilos on of leg on leg extension, even for one rep on that leg for well over 12 months. Which is huge progress. Yeah, and that it's crazy, it's crazy to say, but you know, when I squatted 300 in prep, I had single leg leg extensions in my program, and I could do 2.5 kilos on that leg. So realistically, what you try and tell us you should be able to squat 1500. Yeah, so that's a that's a 10 times increase, right? 2.5 kilos to to well to 20 kilos. I can do 25 now. I did 25 yeah. this week. So that's 10 times. So I should be able to squat 10 times 300. So I should be able to squat 3,000 kilos. Bake. Ah. Hey, that works for me. I, I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, all right. So <laughs> watch out, Joseph. Come I was like, it sounds like a great time to talk about conjugate method now. <laughs> yeah, that's the most that's probably the most conjugate thing that'll ever be said on this. <laughs> that was one of the other questions that we got that we were going to touch on, yeah. Yeah. So what was the question? Uh thoughts on the conjugate method. Do you want my thoughts first? I would love your thoughts first. I I've used the conjugate method not very well and very early on in my lifting career. And I saw really good progress on it, but again, I was, I know I wasn't doing it properly and I didn't have a coach at the time. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I was just kind of winging it and doing what I thought was conjugate. Um, and I would end up, my 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 dynamic days would end up being far too heavy to be dynamic days though it was pretty much just two upper body max effort days and two lower body max effort days with <laughs> different variations nice <laughs> um but i did see pretty good progress on it uh and i was doing it as initially i was doing it as an equipped lifter which yeah. is what i i first started um, dabbling in when I first started in powerlifting in 2011 or 2010 at the time was equipped. And then I decided that I wanted to compete and I wanted, I just kind of didn't have the people around to help me do equipped. So, yep. and that's kind of when raw was, was starting to be a lot more popular very first starting. So I, I jumped on that train and and decided to compete raw in 2011, but I still used conjugate training all throughout that that prep, if you could call it that, and and then even for probably 12 months post. I enjoyed it because it was it, it was not boring. There was always something different going on. Um, you could choose variations that you liked. You could switch it up all of the time. I liked using bands and chains because it made me feel different, made me feel like a badass. 
and I, I kind of liked it. I still like bands now. Um, I think personally, I would I would lean more towards um, like a block method, but it's all kind of block. It's just split up differently. Like at the end of the day, it's it's all block. It's just kind of they just kind of split it up a little bit differently. The blocks just look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, it's not my preference, but I do, but I do actually still like it. And I don't really think I know enough about it to have a super informed decision or, or comment on it. Yeah. But I do like it. What about you? Um, again, like, I think just the caveat here is like, I haven't really had enough exposure to it to really say anything informed, but from the very small tastes that I have had, like you, I really like the accommodating resistance work. Um, I think there is, like, where we kind of touched on before with the whole, like, strongman thing, like, teaching people how to to push really hard. I, I think when, uh, the resistance to sort of be a little bit more in line with someone's strength curve or where they lose tightness and teach them how, like, oh, cool, like, you can just keep pushing through that and you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. I quite like the idea of like max effort and dynamic days and then like pushing accessories really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think there are a few, I mean like shit, how long has it been around for? Decades. Yeah. A long time. And this is where I look at anything that has been able to stand the test of time. And I go, if it's been around for decades and it's still being used, like, although it might not be like, as prevalent as it was if you were a um, powerlifter in the US back in like the 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that it's still being used, like everybody knows who Westside is. Like if you've got anything to do with powerlifting, someone's like, oh, what are your thoughts on Westside Barbell? If you're a powerlifter that's been in the game for, you know, for half a minute, like you're going to be like, well, I think they're fucking amazing. Or I think they were just a bunch of like, Drunk up dipshits who, you know, probably just had too much roid rage. But I think looking back at it and going, well, what did that method do for power things as a whole? I don't think anyone can sit there and go, it wasn't, you know, incredibly influential. No, oh, it was certainly influential. I'm just sitting here thinking, um, I, I, I really actually don't like it when people say, everything works because there's certainly things that probably don't work. Um, but there's definitely some things that work maybe better than other things. Uh, and I think it's probably not a case of does it work? It's more a case of, is it the best tool for you in the situation that you're in? And part of that's going to come down to, do you enjoy it? Because if that's the way that you like to train, you're probably going to train harder and more consistently using that method if that's yeah. the one that you prefer. And doing that is is going to get you better results than half-assing a different style of training that might be seen as more optimal. The other thing that I always look at as well is I'm like, look at who it was designed for. Like you've got obviously all the guys that were lifting out of Westside, like how many of them were raw lifters at the time? Not, me- well, not many, none, none yeah. to start with. Yeah, and then they were all equipped lifters. Where for them to have the days where it was like, well, we're going to go heavy all the time, 
because of the load they were lifting in the suits and stuff like that, they wouldn't be able to handle the the recovery to be ready for another heavy day, potentially even within a week. So if they're doing like week one, they're like, yeah, it's our max effort week this week and the following week's dynamic week. I think having like the balance between the two of going, oh, well, this is my heavy week and this is like my back off week. Like it, it works. Like I remember, I think it was back in uh, 2014, when GPA Worlds were hosted here in so uh, up in Sydney, um, I remember like I went to the Lily Bridge seminar when they were here, and they're like, "Yeah, like we will do a heavy squat and deadlift session on the one day. We do that once a fortnight because mm-hmm. we need the time to recover." Now, obviously, when you look at the numbers that Eric was squatting, like you know, he'd be squatting around that sort of like four to four sixty mark. And then backing it up with a heavy deadlift around like, you know, between sort of like 350 and 410, like that's a big fucking session to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then when you're sort of looking at going, well, would you be able to replicate that week in, week out? Probably not. And obviously the bigger the guys get and the heavier the loads are that they're working with, they're going to need longer to recover anyway. So I think having like that dynamic week afterwards where it's like, well, we're only lifting at like say 70% and it's, it's skill acquisition and it's speed so that when we do get back out of that heavy bar, those attributes that we've been working on in our dynamic week, we can carry over more efficiently into those, those max effort sessions. Um, again, like when you're sort of looking like traditional West side, like, you know, looking at bands, chains, uh, there are some of the stuff where I look at, I go, if you're doing like a reverse banded, uh, fucking like safety bar, six inch box squat and you're moving like this far and you're in briefs or a suit like sure like yeah it's teaching you how to probably handle just like an outrageous amount of load it's probably really fun you're probably going to feel like an absolute fucking animal after you do (laughs) it but like the reality is like are you actually going to be training attributes that will then carry over to your competition lifts being better like is an overshoot of that magnitude really applicable? Like I look at a, you know, if you're doing like a board, like a board press, say like two board or whatever it is. Sure. Like there's probably some solid carryover there because that point there is probably where you lose a little bit off the shirt. Again, I haven't benched a shirt. I'm not talking specifics here, but likening it to the slingshot. It's like once you come off that chest, you get up to a point where you're like, Oh, I got up here so easily and then I start losing that support from that. And that's obviously where if we're looking at utilizing accommodating resistance as well, that can be a really good way to ingrain those things to then have an appropriate carryover. But if you're doing like you've, you've used the, uh, the block, like the block press attachments yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the one where you can put it like up on the side and it's like this fucking high off the chest. Yeah. Like for me, I would unwrap and I would be like, touch, touch, yeah. And for me, that would be like your full range of motion if I was to do that. <laughs> yeah. But that's where it's like, you know, if I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm working off like a four or five block bench and to there, like, is that really teaching me anything about benching? No, it's probably it's, not. No, no, not for you. Absolutely not. And, but, and that's where I look at it. I go, well, if I'm doing like, if I look at where I like, again, when I attempted a 170 bench last year, if I look at where I failed that, A, I shouldn't have failed it and it still makes me fucking salty. But hypothetically, like 
getting to a point where it's actually teaching that component of the lockout. If I'd been doing like, again, like if I had gone through like conjugate and I'd been training at Westside, they probably would have been like, yeah, you need, you need chains or you need like, a, you know, um, like benching against bands or whatever it is to train lockout or like doing heavy board press. Like, and to be fair, like board press is one of the accessories I know has a monster carryover for me, but it needs to be relative. Like with that, with that block attachment, if I set it to the lowest setting, that brings about oh, that high so off my chest, which is pretty much like when I start pressing, if I hit that spot and I don't have it, I'm missing there. Mm-hmm. Where I missed 170 was an inch off lockout. Yeah, that's just you being a bitch. There, I mean, there, there are a lot of contributing factors as to why I missed it, but probably the most prominent one is just being a bitch. Yeah, you should have left it out. I think I, I understand the principles of accommodating resistance, and I agree it's it's it's, it's a good one, and we both think there's utility in that. But even just from yeah. a, breaking it down even more simpler than that, a very typical powerlifting program that you might see today is a primary heavy exposure and a secondary lighter, different variation, like a different variation that's less loadable of that of that movement pattern throughout the week. Yeah. Right. So you might do like heavy comp, comp squats as your main squat movement. And then you might do like a safety squat bar, two second pause as your secondary um, squat exposure for the week. That's very similar to a max effort day and a lighter exposure day. Yeah, and it is. And this is where like, when you look at programming, when you look at, you know, powerlifting or just the fitness industry as a whole, People are going to learn bits and pieces and they're going to go, oh, I like that. I like that too. I like this. And because everyone is trying to make a name for themselves, they're going to go, ta-da, look at what I've created. Yeah, it's called this. They're not going to sit there and go, I got these concepts from Westside. I got these concepts from here. Like whenever I present my seminars, right, one of the first things I always like to say is I'm like, anything I'm going to present to you today is not new. The people that I have learned from and the people that have shaped my career the most are probably these three people here. Those three people there probably had three people that they learned of. And those people had probably three people and it just, it feeds back. But the concepts that I I'm talking about today are presented in a way that's uniquely shaped by, by my experience and by my exposure. Mm-hmm. But one thing I absolutely love to do is give credit where credit is due. Like I was saying this to you um, the other day is like, you know, you get all these people that are like, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you this system. And now one of my favorite quotes of all time is one that I got from Jordan Shelley, where he's like, we don't teach systems. We teach a systems way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just going to go, Oh, well, you're doing a powerlifting prep. I'm going to be doing like a crazy low bar squat, a crazy wide group bench press and a crazy wide sumo stance or a squatty conventional deadlift or whatever the fuck you're doing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go, what framework do you have to work with? And based on where you fit in on 
all of these test points, I'm going to give you different approaches based on the information that you give me back. Like if someone has the most atrocious internal rotation of their shoulder, trying to force them into a really low bar position, that's probably not going to be great for them. Getting them benching really, really wide. Wait a second. You're telling me that internal rotation is the cause of some pain? Isn't yes. that ex isn't that ex isn't that external rotation? Oh, dude, don't get me started on that because you know I will fuck it. Like, well, I mean, what we've almost been talking for two hours. I will talk for another two hours on my disdain for people who haven't figured it out yet that are still pushing that shit. Figured what out? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but like, you you get what I mean, right? Like. If someone comes in and they're like, oh, these are all the things that I sort of I have going on, I'm not just going to go, well, tough shit. You're doing a, a powerlifting prep, so, you know, get ready to get fucked up. Like, I'm going to go, oh, cool. Well, your shoulder internal rotation is severely limited. While we work on it actively so that we can eventually get into these positions, because it may have the potential to be a stronger variation for you, what we're going to do as an interim is like, we might high bar squat. We might safety bar squat. We might, well, probably not going to front squat if we've got shitty shoulder mobility, but you know, like a safety bar squat, a high bar squat, whatever it might be, like that might be a good alternative. The other alternative is like if you're access like a bent bar, working with that is a really nice way that you can still low bar squat and take a lot of pressure off the shoulders while you, but this is the thing is like, there's no point in doing that stuff to take pressure off a joint if the things that you're doing aren't actually helping. Like, yes, I could sit there and be like, oh, well, I'm going to go and do my external rotations. My elbow pain after I squat isn't fixed. But if you're so fixated on going, oh, well, someone on Instagram told me it's going to fix my problems. I'm just going to keep doing this. You know what? I'm not even training, but I'm, I'm going to just walk around all day doing this because it's going to fix it. If it's not fixing it after, frankly, like a couple of weeks or at least not changing it, it's probably not the right thing to do. Yeah, but I'll, yeah, I also think that along those same lines, avoiding the movement altogether because it hurts and then not addressing the reason why it hurts and just avoiding the movement is not the right answer either. No, it's not. So if you say to me, if you say, if I say to you, hey, Ben, um, and I have said this to you before, I'm deep in prep. I've been low bar squatting because that's obviously the strongest squat variation for me. Uh, and my shoulders and elbows are so jacked up that I can't even put the top of my hand on the small of my back. Like I literally can't even get it behind my back. I That was probably, I think, one of the first conversations I ever had with you. It was. And, and, uh, if you said to me, well, you should probably figure that out and fix it. And I was like, well, oh, that's pretty good advice. So <laughs> but I think this is I, also where I so think I like think, a conversation with you, like you're a coach. Right. Like I can I can give you a really smart ass response like that. Whereas if 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 we have a client that comes to us and they're like, fuck man, like I'm a builder. What the fuck do I know about anatomy and biomechanics? That's where it is then our 
our job to go, cool, these are the things that we're going to try. Mm-hmm. And reality being everything is trial and error. Right. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that especially as coaches, is if you have a client that their shoulders get jacked up and their elbows get jacked up from low bar squatting, the answer then isn't to say, oh, well, it's off season now, so we're not going to do any low bar squatting because it's easier on your shoulders. Yeah. Which you're you're probably not going to do low bar squatting anyway for other reasons, but not because it's hard on your shoulders, because the reality is is we should be we should be fixing their shoulders so that they can low bar squat with no pain. And if they wanted to, they should be able to low bar squat year round pain free if we fix the issue. Yeah. I think as well, like, I think this is one of the aspects of like um, coaching that I find really interesting is like the whole screening process. And I'm obviously mindful not to go uh, into another rabbit hole of a topic that I know we've said we, we kind of might want to speak about at another time. But I think like when you're looking at online coaching versus um, like face-to-face coaching, I think if you can get someone who comes in for a consult and they're like, Hey, look, I would really love to get into powerlifting knowing what like functional assessments that you can do on someone to go, well, do you actually have, the shoulder range to go into the positions that we want. No, you don't. Let's t- like assess your hips. Like, do your hips actually have the ranges that you need to be able to go into a sumo position that you so desperately want to hit? Like, I remember I I had this client that I used to train face to face, like back, you know, pre twenty twenty for like years and years on end, and we got him really really strong. And then he started following certain online influences within the fitness and the strength space. And this individual was like, everybody should low bar squat because it's the strongest variation. Now, what happened is when he went into his low bar positioning, he flared like an absolute donkey. Whereas you put him in a front squat and mine, when I say he had, the prettiest front squat I have ever seen in my life. He could front squat 165. Mm-hmm. His best low bar squat was 180. <laughs> nice. His best high bar squat was 177 and a half. Mm. But he was convinced that he needed to, to low bar squat in flats because someone who is insta famous said online, oh, this is the best position for someone to squat in. Whereas, and like, I've been training for like three years at this point. I'm like, dude, like I've watched you squat every single week for years. I think I'm going to have a better idea as to how you need to move more so than someone who's never seen you squat before. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, one of the things that you and I have been speaking about recently is, it just comes back to generalized queuing. Yeah. But this is also like when, again, like I know I said, I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going to, I'm going to fucking go down this rabbit hole. Do it. When you look at how the space has changed in the coaching sphere within the last couple of years in particular, like everyone's online now, mm-hmm. all most people really are, like, there are still people in the industry that are fantastic, but there are a lot of people that are just like, I just want to make a fuckload of money. Yeah. 
they're like, my goal is to have five grand weeks. That's my goal. Cool. Yeah, it'd be nice. But <laughs> like there are people that just go, I'm selling a program. It's generalized. It's, you know, follow my guide and you'll get a 200 kilo bench. And every powerlifter is going to be like, fucking take my money, take my money. It's $19.99. They're going to sell a lot of copies of that. And there's going to be a percentage of people that it's probably going to work really, really well for. Yeah. There's also going to be probably a really high percentage of people that get like three weeks in the go, my body's broken. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you ever had much experience with a wonderful program called Smoloff. I never did it. Bro, I did it once. My God. <laughs> it was not, not a good time. Dude, I was I was not in a good place after that. <laughs> How long did you do it for? The whole thing? Six weeks. Nice. But then like I've also again, like if we're talking about like doing hard shit for the sake of hard shit, I've done the super compensation program, which is a two-week training program where you do I think it's like 13 sessions in two. Oh no. It's three days of so it's six days a week of training. Three of those days of double sessions, and then three of those days of single sessions. Nice. So nine nine sessions a week. Yeah, for two weeks. That's brutal. By the time, so it's pretty much it's like the same like two or three sessions that you repeat, alternated pretty much, and it is one of the most awful programs you will ever run. But my god. Once you have your deload week after that and you come back in, you feel like you're walking around as like a rock hard dick and you feel so strong. Yeah, well, I that guess might, might also that's, like the ba- that's like the basic principle of, of a prep and then a taper really just condensed into two weeks. Yeah, like we should buy. So I got to day nine, I think it was, and I'm like, Oh my god! Like so, I was obviously like, you know, I was coaching full time, and I was fitting in like eighteen training sessions over the two week period. Yeah. By the time I was like day nine, I'm like, oh my god, I'm so tired. I like you, you get to a point where you get hit with fatigue that heavily. You kind of expect performance to really start to drop, but the, the objective is you're trying to maintain in the last couple of days. Yeah. So like one of the main movements is like 10 sets of six, like deficit snatch grip deadlifts um, with like five second eccentrics, strict three minute rests. And I mean, you do, I think it's like, yeah, it's like every like second day you're doing that session. And it is. So I understand the theory, but my question would be when you then deload, so you just hammer yourself for two weeks and then you deload and then you come back in and you're like, oh man, you feel fantastic when you come back in. Is that, you know, like if I put my thumb on the desk right now and I just start hammering into it with my fist, that's going to suck. And then when I stop, that's going to feel really good because I'm not punching my thumb anymore. Is it like... Do you only well, feel good because you're not driving yourself into the ground anymore? I mean, that's definitely an aspect <laughs> of it. But I did like, again, like this is back when I wasn't anywhere near as strong as I am now. But I, I was like, I'm going to go do some like one RM testing off like just horrendous volume. And I put 
So I was like, I was going to, I did one RM testing with like non comp lift. So I tested like my front squat, my overhead press, and I tested my deadlift because I was like, I'm not going to not test my deadlift. Um, I put 15 kilos on my deadlift. I put 12 and a half kilos on my overhead press. And I put like 17 and a half kilos in my front squat. Nice. Do you think, how, how well trained were you at that time? Uh, well trained enough that I wouldn't expect nearly 20 kilo PBs in those lifts. Had you pushed really hard in the past before that? Yeah. You had? Okay. Because yeah. I was just thinking, I wonder how many of those kilos that you added were just due to the fact that you'd gone through like two weeks of hell and doing one really hard rep just didn't seem that hard anymore. There could have been a bit of that as well, but that's where, like, I don't, I mean, purely just on the, the fact that I think I would probably crawl into a ball and want to die after a couple of days. I don't think I would ever want to run a block like that ever again. No, we're too like, off I, Even if I had a client, they're like, Hey, look, I'll go to a month off work. Um, I want like a brutally hard month of training. I, I've had clients that are like, Hey, I've got the month off. I want to train every day for the next month. And I'm like, no, like I, I can give you like a program to follow, but you're still going to do your four days a week of lifting. And then I'll give you like something to do every day so that you're doing something. But I'm like, you're not training in the gym seven days a week for a month straight because you're off work. Like that's just not how it works. Yeah. Sometimes I'll have clients that say I'm on holidays. Uh, can we do five days or can we do an extra day in the gym? And then I was like, yeah, sure. And then I'll just like pull two exercises off each day and put them all <laughs> on one day. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the classic coaching move. Yeah. Here's five days. It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, but Nick, this looks so similar to what we were doing before. It's like, it is exactly the same. Yeah. But over five days. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, cool. I think there was one more. Uh, actually, yeah, was... just, just to tag on the back of that, that you, that you were just saying is, uh, you you're coaching that guy in person yeah and I think that there's there's probably a fair bit of merit in just mentioning that I, I truly believe and I know you truly believe as well in the value of in-person coaching and I think yeah unfortunately in the space that we're in it's a little bit of a dying art um, at the moment and I, I can't I, I see it going like further in that direction not not coming back more towards in-person coaching um but i think i i think there's so much merit in in face-to-face -face coaching personally i would agree um, especially for anyone that isn't an elite lifter i think that they're going to obviously get far more benefit out of it but this is actually a really interesting point that you've made you look at any elite athlete they have their trainers they have their, like, like you take, like, like American football, for example. Like, they have, like, their strength coaches. They have their, like, offensive or defensive teams that they work on or special teams or whatever it is. They have their nutritionists. They have their sports psychologists if they need it. They have their physios. They have a team behind them. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they are as successful as they are is because they utilize that team. 
online coaching is great for certain people, mm-hmm. but I still think that probably 85% of the people that we're going to work with in our careers need the face-to-face time. Yeah, or not even necessarily need it, but would greatly benefit from it. Yeah. It, like it would, it would, fast, it would fast-track their progress for sure. Yeah, and this is where like I always bring it back to people. I'm like, you're handing over your hard-earned cash. Like most coaching services aren't cheap. And if people are handing that money over week in, week out, and they're not getting the result, what do they do? They yeah. leave. Yeah. And then what they're going to do is they're going to start with another coach. Like, oh, yeah, I, I worked with this guy. This is how much he charged a week. And I just wasn't really getting results. And then all of a sudden, you might get a reputation starting to build at no fault of your own. Just because like, again, like I know I have some of my clients I've worked with long-term who's worked with me online, but I, I, I have an agreement with them where it's like, cool, like you need to come and see me at least once a quarter. Mm-hmm. Just for, it might be only a half an hour tune-up, but if, if something isn't clicking, let's get on top of it before it becomes an issue. Now, obviously, fortunate enough, live close enough to these people that we can do that. But for people that I work with that are either interstate or overseas, it's a lot harder to do that. But that's also where like communication becomes a massive thing. And when we do look at like one of the biggest attributes that a good coach needs, they need to be good communicators. Because Absolutely. I could sit there and be like, hey, I want you to bench press. And someone's gonna be like, yeah, fucking sick. But what they haven't outlined is going reps, sets, load, rest period, tempo, any other considerations like it might be, hey, I want you to do this block without wrist wraps, without a belt. I want you to pretty much strip everything back and that's going to be our load limiting variation for you. Mm-hmm. Like I could sit there and say to someone like, hey, I want you to bench press. It's a really simple instruction. But all of a sudden they might send their check-in videos and their you know, wrist wraps, elbow sleeves, a belt, a slingshot, fucking mouth guard in. A three-board press. Ass is in the sky. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're <laughs> like, you said bench press, so I'm fucking benching. Yeah, this is how it's I like, bench. Yeah, and it's like, okay. Like, my, my favorite thing is like, you get a coaching instruction. It's like, oh, you're going to do incline dumbbell press. It's like, what's the incline? <laughs> like, yeah. again, like, we're, at the gym that I train at, like we're fortunate enough to have a lot of prime stuff. Mm, nice. Dude, they have like every setting on a bench you could imagine. They've got like, like a, like a zero, like 10, 15, 20, 25, like a 30, a 40, a 45, a 50. Like it's very incremental. Now imagine if I was training someone at the gym and I was like, hey, go do some incline dumbbell press. And they're like, dude, I have like, nine options to choose from what do you want to set at because if i put someone on say a, a 70 degree incline versus a 15 degree incline the weight they're going to be using and the the outcome from that movement is going to be vastly different based on what incline they're working on exactly yeah and i think that's that's definitely one of the benefits of face-to-face but i think it's that also you can communicate that way as an online coach. And I know that, that I endeavored to do that with all of my online clients, but I, I feel like I've built the ability to communicate in that way. And I've built the ability to see things on video that 
other people might not see in video because I know what things look like based on how many people I've coached in person. Yes. And I feel like that might be a really good point for us to talk about in another episode of talking about like what we did. In fact, you know what? I'm, I'll just put this out. This is a topic that we will cover. What qualities and what experience someone needs to be successful as an in-person coach, as well as an online coach or either or. Yeah, cool. We can do that. I think that'll be a really interesting topic for us to touch on because I feel like we would have very similar perspectives, but coming from different positions. Yeah, I like it. Did we have one last question that we want to cover? Yeah, um, it was the best and worst experiences as an athlete. Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, so I would say like, I wouldn't necessarily classify as like best or worst, but I would probably classify as probably one of the more profound experiences that I've had was when I hurt my back playing basketball. Um, so like for those of you who are listening that don't know much about basketball, like I took what I thought was going to be called as a charge. So I was up in um, Alice Springs playing in a national championship um, for one of the junior clubs I was playing for at the time. Had a guy pretty much just like go straight through me no charge, no block. The refs called, ah, oh, good day, and played on. Meanwhile, I'd hit the ground in a way where I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I can't move. From about my, it was just above my belly button, from about there down, I had no feeling in my lower body. It was only really once um, the play had gone down the other end of the court, we'd scored, and then they were all on their way back, and they realized I was still on the ground, and I wasn't moving. So they've taken me to hospital with like pretty much a suspected broken back. Um, did x-rays. There was no break, but they pretty much couldn't explain why I was paralyzed from the waist down more or less. Um, yeah. yeah, like I couldn't couldn't move. Like I was just like, I'm cactus. Um, so like that was, like, I mean, like I was only like 12 or 13 at the time when that happened. And I'm sitting there going, fuck. Like, that's, I'm... That's hectic I, for a 13-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it probably took, I don't know, like a couple of hours for sort of any sort of, like, feeling or sensation to start to return. Um, and again, like, the hard thing is with this being, you know, almost 20 years ago, trying to get the hospital records of what was actually the, going on is near impossible now. Um, and I'm pretty sure I only had an x-ray. There was no like MRI or anything like that to see what was going on. And pretty much like, you know, anytime I have a bit of a, <clears throat> a bit of a flare up with the back and like, I go and see like a, a new therapist or whatever, they're always like, Oh, let's, let's get a scan on your back. I'm like, yeah, let's not. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to like, like what you see. <laughs> well, I'm like, at the moment, I'm like, I feel like it's pretty manageable. Like, if something flares up, I'm like, yeah, like I, know, I know what to do. I can get myself back to pretty good, like, in a matter of weeks. But if it came up going, oh, well, you've got, like, three heavily, like, like you know, damaged discs and you've got all these, like, issues going on there, am I then going to, like, mentally be going, oh, well, I know I'm lifting with all of these, like, injuries that I can't see or feel, and now all of a sudden I'm scared to do my training? Yeah, like, most probably. That- and that's just, I'm like, I don't want to, I just don't want to go down that avenue. Like I would rather go, 
well, I'm just going to train as if I'm fine. Yeah. And if it gets to a point where like things keep happening repeatedly, then maybe I'll go down the avenue of exploring a little bit further. But I figure for now, while I'm, I'm able to, like, I still want to be the guy that like when I'm, I'm in my fifties, I still want to be able to walk into the, into the gym and deadlift 250. Yeah. Like, at least. I, I want to be that, like that burly silver fox over in the corner <laughs> who kind of like keeps to himself and all the young kids from like high school and school and shit come in. They're like, Oh, look at that. Look at that dude over in the corner. Like just like slaying shit around. That's what, like, I still want to be doing this in, in 20 years time. Hell yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. So like as much as I sit there and go, Oh, like, you know, there would be some people that go, oh, you're not looking after yourself. I'm like, no, no, no. If, if anything, like I am very much looking at, looking after myself and looking out for myself. Um, but yeah, so I would probably say that, like that experience was probably, probably the most pivotal for me as an athlete, not necessarily best or worst, um, but it's absolutely probably had the greatest impact on me as an athlete. Yeah, probably also as a coach. I think that's yeah. I think you've mentioned before. That's one of the big reasons why you wanted to to go down well, that the, the strength that, training route. Yeah, like you know, if I can help people move better and be in less pain, like that for me is without a doubt like my greatest calling as a coach. Like the, the people that I, like I've had guys that I've seen, like for example, like there was a guy I was coaching back in like twenty. We started. In, I think it was like the end of 2018 and finished up like mid 2019. So we did about oh, eight months or so together. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came to me and he's like, look, I've got chronic shoulder pain. I can't get my arms up overhead without like severe pain and getting to like this position. And he's like, I've seen every special, every specialist you can see, like I've seen physios, osteos, chiros. I've seen orthopedic surgeons, like you name it. I've seen them. But he's like, you know, you've worked with my son and you helped him through some of his rehab stuff. So I'm hoping you can just take a look. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, when he started with me, he was 67 years old. Yeah. And he's like, I've had this pain in my shoulders for 12 years. Yeah. He's like, I can't pick my grandkids up and throw them up overhead. Yeah. I'm like, cool. So I did a little bit of like screening on him. I was like, yeah, I think I have a bit of an idea as to what's going on here. And I'm like, again, like the whole thing of like, you know, you get someone a little bit stronger and it can quite often have some pretty positive impacts for him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we're going to see how you move on a bench press. And he benched 30 kilos. He's like, it hurts my shoulder. I'm like, cool. No worries. That's fine. I was expecting that to happen. We did, you know, some tweaking. Fast forward six weeks later, he benched 65 kilos for six reps, pain-free. And then it was about two months later, he came in and we, like, we, he came in, like, we would, you know, like a normal gen pop client, you come in, you start on a foam roll, you do some mobility work. We walk in, he goes, i got something to talk to you about before we, we start our session. And I'm like, he came in with, like, this really serious tone. I'm like, oh, like, what's going on? And he just goes, <laughs> nice. And I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, what have you done? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? 
And he goes, mate, he goes, when I literally tell you that over the last eight years, I've spent over $100,000 trying to fix this problem and you have almost fixed it in under two months. Uh, gives me chills. Dude, I get emotional talking about this because like, this is the thing where you sit there and you go, it's, it's wonderful to coach someone to like a 300 kilo deadlift or something like that. But when you think about the impact that that actually has on their life, mm -hmm. it's a very minute part. Yeah, that's huge. But if you if you get someone to a point where like you can literally give them like he's like I can actually like pick my grandkids up now and like throw them overhead and not be scared that I'm not going to be able to catch them. Like you give someone that sort of quality of life back through your craft, you are a wizard. Yeah, that's that's honestly life changing. Yeah, like. And that's where, like, as much as I love powerlifting coaching, if someone was going to sit there and say to me, hey, you can either work with powerlifters for the rest of your life or gen pop people who genuinely need help, I guarantee you I would choose gen pop every day. Yeah, it, it is super rewarding for sure. Yeah. Like, obviously, like, you, you know, there are aspects of working with gen pop that's frustrating as all fuck sometimes. But for the most part, the when you get people who and like it's like with any any client whether they're a powerlifting client or whether a jump pop client i think when you get to a point where you get someone who really buys in and they do everything they tell you and they do the work and they get the reward you're like fuck like this is yeah that's definitely amazing. the most that's definitely the most rewarding part for me is it, it doesn't necessarily matter like what the goal is because it's not my goal it's it's their goal and whether it's yeah you know 300 kilo deadlift or putting putting your arms above your head like those goals probably mean the same amount to each of those clients and and i think like as a coach helping those people achieve those things is that's it's definitely the best part for me for sure yeah what would uh, you say your best slash worst experiences are as an athlete um i think i have two pretty pretty defining ones one yep. was um at the very the very end of my football athletic career and the the very start of my uh, was subsequently the, the start of my coaching career was having multiple knee injuries and and a neck injury that were just continually rearing their head and not allowing me to play as consistently or as well as I would like to have been. And, um, you know, in my mind, kind of forcing my retirement much earlier than what I would have liked. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know I could have pushed on and done more rehab and whatever, but I just wasn't willing to do that at the time. So deciding to retire was really hard at the time, but also looking back absolutely the best thing that I could have ever done because it, it led me to where I am now. And had I've continued to, to battle through the injuries and continue to play, I, I don't know where I would have ended up. Um, and I certainly wouldn't have the amount of experience that I have now uh, in the coaching space because I would have lost, lost years off that to, to playing football. Uh, and the second one, which I think is, probably one of the most defining moments for me ever 
that I've ever had as an athlete was only very recently um, this year when I competed at nationals and having pretty severely torn my adductor only four weeks out from competition and from that moment not being able to even walk most days let alone squat um and going through all of the emotions of thinking that maybe i should just pull out maybe i should just you know do a really light token squat just so that i can be there on the day and and go through the experience of something that i I feel like I worked really hard for or, and then, you know, wondering if that's just taking the pierce and and taking the spot away from someone who could do the meet properly and then trying to find ways around it, having two or three squat sessions post injury leading into the, to the comp where I thought, all right, I'll test it a little bit here and try to squat 130 and felt like my whole a doctor was tearing off the bone and, and not being able to get anywhere close to depth. And just, it was honestly like super challenging and speaking to you every day about it, going back and forth on what I was going to do. And then you and I had actually spoken about it a fair bit, but spoken it about it a fair bit with my coach, um, Will. And we decided that I would just do a token squat, nice and light, and then just do the rest of the meet. It didn't really, it wasn't really affecting my bench or deadlift, so I could at least just try and PB on those. And then the day came, I was warming up, it felt pretty good. And then I just being able Set to it. being able being able to just mentally full send at that moment and go for an all-time comp PB just out of nowhere um, and do it. I mean, not even the fact that that I did it. It was more just the fact that I mentally I was able to take myself there, I think was was extremely defining for me as an athlete and to just proving to myself that I don't, I don't just um, talk the talk that I can actually walk the walk as well. And I, I can actually, put my money where my mouth is and just do do something that's I would think a lot of people would consider pretty crazy. Yeah. And I and I and that that really defined me as an athlete and having the chance to do that, looking back, I'm super grateful because if the, the prep went smooth, it probably wouldn't have been as cool of a story. Um, but being able to tell that story and look back on it and and draw inspiration from it and tell it to other people and see the reaction that it gets from other people as well is pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it was um I'll have to tell the story on a future episode because it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have a little list of topics that we do have for episodes. Yeah, so I think we leave that I'll leave it there for today. It's I think going on up two and a half Almost hours again. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> We'll leave it there. I'm gonna get um get going and loading the, the first episode up, and then I think I'll call it now. Um, next week, I think we should um jump straight into squats, and yeah. and we'll we'll kind of 
make the main focus of next week's podcast um, squatting and all of the variations of and why we like some and why we don't like some and what the benefits and drawbacks are of each. And I think that's going to be a pretty lengthy topic, but I think there'll be a fair bit of value there. I think so too. Cool. Let's do that. And then as always, we'll, we'll jump in and answer any questions that anyone sends through. I'll put up a story. Um, ben, I'm sure you'll put up a story as well, the question box. Yeah. If you, if you can't wait for the question box or you miss it, feel free to DM either of us on Instagram with any questions that you'd like covered and we'll chat to you guys next week.